Boys and girls, welcome to the seventh episode of Room 2250. I'm your host, Hayden Nadine, along with my co-host, Christopher McCarriker. Chris, it's uh, December, so... Uh, yeah. So we have to have our, our most special guests. Most special guests. But on top of that, you know, Chris, December is very special because of, like, the three reasons. I like to call it three fives. There's uh, the 25th of December, which is, you know, Christmas. Yeah. Then there's the 5th, which is my birthday. Right. But the most important... For the last two years running, the 15th of December. Star Wars. Star Wars. You know, so, you know this, it's the most important because every year I'm waiting for 15th and I'll go to Star Wars and lightsabers and graphics and everything. And so today's special guest is, uh, is very special. Yeah. Is a superb guest because not only do they teach at UFD, but they're specialized in research with graphics. Please welcome Professor David Levine. Levine. I was Levine, Professor, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. That was good. That was a good attempt at my <laughs> at my name. I, it's tricky because it looks easy, but it lures you into a false sense of security. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've I've gone literally my whole life. Unrelated people have somehow mispronounced my last name. My last name is McCarriker as McCracker. Oh jeez, <laughs> like, not even the right order of letters. And it's totally unrelated people. People from different cities, different countries have never met McCracker every single time. I mean, like, I get my name butchered a lot. Yeah, oh yeah. But like, you know, and everyone's like, hater, like, is it hater? Like, how much? Yeah. I'm like, and you know, I gotta go with it. It's whatever. But, uh, I mean, I guess that's something we all have in common. Okay, <laughs> one, our name's butchered one way or another. Okay, uh, so, uh, David, or do you like to go by Dave? Dave. Dave, alright. So, Dave, before we begin, uh, you know, why don't you just tell us and all the listeners, like, what you do at UFD and, you know, a bit of, like, who you are. Okay, uh, great. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a relatively new assistant professor here. So I started uh, last, uh, last August, actually. So I moved to Toronto last August. Okay. Um, I'm part of the, the tenure track research faculty here, which means that uh, my job sort of entails doing two things. One of, one of the, the things that I do is the, the sort of student-facing thing, which is I, I teach people uh, computer graphics and computer science. And the other thing that I do is I do research into computer graphics, and specifically, I work on uh, in a field called physically based animation. Now, that's a that's a really fancy way of saying that uh, I, I try and make animations of, of physical objects moving through the world. And actually, if you've been to the movies in the last twenty years, you've seen you know, and not maybe not stuff that I've done, but examples of this up on the screen. So, for instance, uh, if you've seen a Transformers movie, Michael Bay's Transformers movies, basically all those movies are, are buildings falling over. None of that actually exists, right? That is, a, that is a computer simulation of a building falling down. That simulation is driven by the laws of physics, right? And my research is in designing, taking those laws of physics, you know, building the algorithms that will produce those visuals. Yeah. That's, That's not something you think about, too. When you, like, I mean, you know those are CG, I guess, when you see it, not just because you've been to the movies the past 20 years you have a hunch but it's you yeah i really think about there's probably like a lot of a lot of work and a lot of like math that goes into simulating physics like when you watch especially when you watch like transformers i think that's a yeah that's a great example because like yeah. there's a lot of stuff happening a lot of it's a michael bay movie you have a lot of explosions lot cars of a lot of stuff there uh so yeah i guess that would that, that's a great example and you never yeah. i don't think people appreciate what goes into this I think yeah. you know the way that I look at it is is if uh, you know if the researchers and the the artists and the director are doing their job well, uh, you shouldn't notice. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. why we that's why we do this stuff. I like to think of graphics as graphics is world building, right? And what makes worlds believable is that they have a consistent set of rules. A nice example of this is actually not a movie, but do you guys uh, are you guys old enough to know Looney Tunes cartoons like oh, yeah. Roadrunner, Wiley e. Coyote? So uh, one of the things that I love about Wile E. Coyote and, and Looney Tunes cartoons is that the, the world is ridiculous, but it's consistent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, Looney Tunes gravity, it only works when you look down, right? That is a consistent rule. And the fact that it has this kind of consistent but odd set of physics acting on it makes it believable, sucks you in. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so, like, what, we do the same thing for movies, right? We want to have these consistent sets of rules that the computer understands. And if we do this right, and that, that world is believable, then, you know, you won't notice that it's happening. That's true. Like, like, like I said, like about the buildings, like the only reason you often even know it's CG is just because you it must be CG. They're obviously not destroying a city, but 
it's I guess almost a little little almost depressing in a way where the best work is the ones that go that gets unnoticed though I feel yeah yeah I mean I, I, I know like they have Oscars for like for Oscar uh, Oscars for like animations yeah. and CG effects but it's just like like when you watch these movies you just don't like that's not the first thing that comes to my mind and I guess you're, you're absolutely right when you say that that's their that's your job like you don't want people to yeah. notice it because if, it, if it's like noticeable then you're like kind of sucks you out of the experience yeah exactly I mean uh, one of the fun things about working in graphics is that you're using you know math and computer science to make in the service of making art right so yeah. if what you're doing is distracting from the art uh, then it's a problem I think you know like there's a there's a recent good example of this which is uh the new Justice League movie. Yeah. Uh, sorry for anyone who's a fan of DC Comics, but it hasn't been well received. Yeah. And one of the things that has been really off-putting is actually the visual effects. Yeah, that's what I. That's yeah. the criticism I've, I've. In your defense, I haven't heard a single person who said anything better than it was. Okay. That, that, that was, was the, me. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the best was thing me. I've heard. So yeah, I watched the movie with my brother, and it was way better than the last. Justice League movie, but uh, it's a low bar to get over. I know it's a very low bar to get over, and I'm like, the CG was definitely not as like I watched Thor Ragnarok about two weeks, yeah, two probably a month before. That was way better. Well, I mean, surprise, you know, Disney knows how to how to budget their stuff. <laughs> Fair. Um, so I think we'll move on into the news. Yeah. Uh, so first bit of news from uh, UFT actually is uh so we talked about this about two episodes ago, but uh, UFT sessional lecturers are going to go for a strike. They voted, no, they voted for the possibility of striking yeah. if, if terms and conditions didn't get. As a student, I am kind of sad to say that they did come to, I think, an agreement. Ah, I, but I was really looking forward to having easier classes next semester. Yeah, it, oh, so you so you joined last August, for, uh, Dave. I joined, yeah, last August. So in 2005, uh, you probably you probably heard about this, but there was a strike where yeah, we didn't have strike. TAs, and you, we no, just it, didn't it have was, tutorials. It was happening though. Like. But the, so the, the way it worked was that because we didn't have any tutorials, uh, we had like the system where you could just say you uh, had, every every course was optionally pass fail if you wanted to, and the courses were what easier. Yeah, and like <laughs> so, and you could make it pass fail after you've seen your mark. So yes. so after exams and everything, suppose you got like a seventy five in one class, and you had like. 79s all the all the others you're like i don't want this one class yeah <laughs> anymore so it was a that was it was, i remember that was a very easy semester yeah. uh and also worked in mandatory classes which is yeah which was a big class so yeah. i mean i guess i'm glad that agreement came for the purpose for the you know perspective of the lecturers but as a student i you know a little bit like that a little bit <laughs> okay so uh next bit of news um so Apple. So you guys most likely heard about this, but uh, yeah. on MacBooks, they had this, you know, like this, I guess, loophole to get into the OS where you can, usually, you know, your password protect, protected, you know, yeah. you have to put in a password, but if you just go into the root and press and enter a few times, yeah. you're just in. So if you if you want to know how I think roughly it works, is Apple disables root by default. Pretty much, it's, it's a Unix system, so root, root exists. Right? Root is just like the superest of users in a way, I guess. Uh, usually you have to manually enable it, but they have it so that once you, like by default it has no password if you enable it. If you typed in root and pressed enter, it enabled the account passwordless. So then you could log in on it. Thus bypassing most, pretty much all security on the system except for obviously hardware or very low level software, like very low level OS security. Yeah, I just, uh, once I like read about that, I'm like, this is, I don't know how that gets passed. Like, how do you not notice that? That's like, yeah, you you feel like somebody in testing should have caught that one. That's yeah, I, I feel like someone's probably lost their job. <laughs> <laughs> I I to me it was just like surprise because usually like I think the one thing you could kind of sit down and be like with Apple products is like no matter how what you feel about Apple, it's like they're pretty they're, usually polished. They're pretty they're, polished, yeah. really polished. You know, like a lot of their features come late, and the reason they come late is because they want to polish everything, right? Except they don't Siri. Except for Siri. But, like, I remember for the longest time, people were like, where's wireless charging? And they are like, well, until it works properly, I don't want to deal with it. And, yeah. and like, so, I like, that's fine. But at the same time, like, I, I have a MacBook. I was not a, 
impressed that yeah, it Yeah, I see right now you have the upgrade to high Sierra. <laughs> At the uh, notification, notification. Yeah, I'm not doing I, I, that. I, I would wait maybe a week or two. <laughs> Probably. Um, so that's that's Apple. So in Bitcoin news. Yeah. Uh, you guys probably heard about this. So Bitcoin cryptocurrency. So in the beginning of the year, it was valued at a thousand. Ten thousand. Yeah. December. So ten times the value. It, it went up to thirteen. I think Canadian. Uh, oh my god. I think yeah. it went down a little bit. And the CSSU actually right now we have we have a temporary table. We just ended up having a screen that given the the current Canadian price for Bitcoin okay. running for the past couple of days, and we're just kind of watching it. We're just watching it. Yeah. Uh, so this is apparently there are a lot more hackers, if you will, who want this. Uh, so Malwarebytes, uh, I don't know if you guys know it, but it's like yeah. a it's a it's a you know software that kind of uh, antivirus system, if you yeah. will. Uh, last month, there were 250 million attempts that they caught themselves on uh, that were trying to attempt to mine uh, on like people's PCs. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, this is just becoming bigger and bigger. Like, and like the ten thousand dollar like valuation for one Bitcoin, like even that's like it's such a big thing now. I just, yeah, I've heard a lot of people complaining too. They're like, oh, you know, I had a thousand five years ago, I wish I didn't sell. But if you guys didn't sell, it wouldn't be here right now. If everyone just held on to their Bitcoin, we wouldn't have that evaluation. I mean, to be fair, if like Bitcoin went to five hundred dollars and you didn't sell your thousand Bitcoins, yeah. you're probably still an idiot. Like, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, you would have sold it. You should have sold it. Yeah, like unless it was on your hard drive and you just never had to touch it. Oh, imagine that! Imagine like mining it in twenty eleven or something when it was like two cents, and then just finding that hard drive again. So, so I don't know if you guys know. There, I think I already said this story before, but there was a guy who threw out when he had like five thousand Bitcoins and it was worth four million dollars. The hard, but he had thrown the hardware. The, the the hard drive and it's just like you're sitting there and I'm like that's four million dollars yeah there's but, like a let right everyone's always telling you always back up because now there's a real financial incentive yeah so I, I mean like I would say that you know it's too late to get into this market but uh, I have no financial advice for anyone for this and not to mention I I probably I would have said the same thing when it was at three thousand if it drops I might buy some if it drops like a lot of it I hope it crashes yeah if it crashes I'm buying it yeah, you're a real stockbroker. <laughs> okay, uh, so last bit of news, local news, yeah, Canadian. Uh, so the House has finally passed uh, marijuana legislation. Yeah. So, so the bill now is moving to Senate. Uh, it passed by two hundred to eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yeah, okay. uh, they're all like all the conservatives, and apparently now they want it. They're like, don't do it in July twenty eighteen, which is apparently the proposed date. They want to move it now. They want to move it to twenty nineteen July. That, the what, conservatives. For, for what reason, though? Because they're conservatives. I don't know. I mean, like, they just don't want weed, I guess. Uh, but but hopefully, well, hopefully, hopefully yeah, I mean, I just want it in July. It just makes it easier. But, uh, CSU yeah. does not endorse or not endorse any <laughs> The DCS has no uh, <laughs> opinion on this. Students might. But, uh, so that's the last bit of news okay. for today. Yeah. So now we're going to get into... The first question. Uh, so, Dave, so all the focus is on me and you now. Oh, great. <laughs> so, the first bit of uh, news is, so you currently do research with the University of Toronto in, uh, you know, simulation techniques. So, what exactly is this? And uh, as a follow-up, like, why do you prefer doing research over, suppose, working in the field? Ah, that's the, the, the second part of that is the age-old, the age-old question. Yeah. Um, so, what are simulation techniques? So, uh, simulation techniques are basically the, the algorithms that take the, the sort of mathematical laws of physics or classical mechanics and allow a computer to evaluate them. In fact, anyone who remembers their high school physics class has actually done simulation. It's just you do it on a, you do it on a whiteboard, basically, or a chalkboard, right? Okay. You know, if, I, if I tell you, uh, do you guys remember Newton's second law? Uh, which which one was that? I remember the laws. I just remember the order. So it's a force equals mass times acceleration, right? Okay. right? And and you know if if you comb back to your your high school physics books, I could tell you sort of how fast something is moving initially, um, and you could you could draw sort of the parabola of that ballistic motion on the board, and and you simulated now basically a, a particle moving in space. Right. Now of course, like if we make things more com more complicated, like we want to simulate my coffee cup, or you know. Uh, a dragon from Lord of the Rings, right? Now we can't do it on the whiteboard anymore. We gotta have to get the computer to do it for us. And so that's where, where the simulation techniques come in, right? We, we, we write computer programs, develop algorithms that will essentially 
do a fancier version of drawing that curve on okay. the whiteboard for us. So in a way, it's like mimicking our real world with with other things. Yeah, exactly. One way one way you can think about it is that uh, you want to give the computer an imagination, right? In the sense that I can I can ask you to imagine. Uh, you know, holding an apple in your hand, throwing it in the air, right? And, and you can probably describe with some accuracy, you know, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to do, how it's going to move around, right? A computer can't do that, right? Yeah. So these, these simulation algorithms are its imagination, how it imagines the world would be. Okay. So, and then ask for the follow-up question. Yeah, so why, why research and not working in the field? Um, I like the freedom research gives you. So I... Uh, I actually, you know, my path to being a researcher is sort of long and windy. It, it goes through one startup company um, uh, as well. I worked at uh, Disney Research for a while. Nice. Um, and basically what I decided that I like about sort of this kind of stuff, physics simulation, is I like coming up with new ideas, right? I like looking at things that people either don't know how to simulate uh, motions people don't understand and I like sort of figuring out how you do that right um, and that's really the core of research is having a new idea and essentially prototyping it proving that it's useful um, when you do that stuff uh, at a company for you know work right there's another phase which is that once you have the prototype it has to be useful now that's very important right uh, there I've written a lot of computer software in my life uh, almost none of it I could give to you right now and you could you could use right and and if I work at a if I were to work at a film studio or at a company right that can't be the case um, and so I personally get much less joy out of that sort of polishing and refining it so that it's a product uh, than I do out of you know the initial concept conceptualization of the idea and building the, the first thing. So basically, like once you sort of look at it that way, you're like, well, you're a researcher, and you're just going to have to live with that. Yeah. How, how fast is a, like does the industry adopt uh, like in university research? Is, are they pretty quick to, to adopt it? Because I think it's a pretty fast moving industry in general. It is. It is a fast moving industry in general. It's it's pretty difficult to get your stuff uh, adopted by industry and that's I mean there's a there's a few reasons for that um, some of that is has to do with uh, intellectual property but mainly it's just that um, in industry right the VFX is incredibly fast moving and not just yeah. in terms of how the technology evolves but also how quickly they have to do things so you know a lot of the solutions that you need have to be sort of uh, very short, very close to stuff you already have available to right. you. And it's very difficult to bring in sort of outside and code and algorithms somehow. There has to be a, a, a demonstrable large win. Uh, certainly it does, it does happen. Um, in fact, we have, uh, we have one particular, um, there, there's, there's one particular good example where a lot of the, the fluid simulation uh, shots that you see in movies um, use a particular technique that was developed in the, the graphics community to, to, to replicate turbulence of water. And this, you know, and this got picked up like almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, because it was just something that nobody knew how to do. These guys had, you know, a nice implementation. It was open source, so it was just out there and it got adopted. And, and actually, those guys won a SciTech sci Oscar you know, I'm not, for it. I'm not sure if this is the same thing, but I think this has actually been even adopted in video games while you're talking this fluid simulation. I think it was... Ubisoft? Probably. That is actually showing off their their implementation of some papers. Yeah. I mean, people, and I think, actually, strangely, even though sort of simulation and graphics has been around, you know, since sort of 1985, the sort of adoption is accelerating, mainly because it's getting harder and harder to find uh, short-term things that give you big improvement. Right? Yeah. And that's also the advantage of being in a university setting. You know, we can look a little bit longer term. We can go a little bit bigger. We aren't constrained by, you know, when's your game coming out? You know, when when do you have to yeah. you know, have profits for your shareholders, right? So that's also nice, right? It gives you some freedom to uh, explore uh, bigger unanswered questions. Okay, yeah. Okay, good. That was, I, didn't, I never thought of it that way. Uh, but that's... Yeah, share companies probably they're like, we where's the money? 
Yeah, they they probably need like you said move pretty quickly too. Like yeah. if you need to get something done in a year and a half, two years, probably you don't have time for six months to rev up new knowledge. Right, exactly. You know, if it's gonna take you you know, it's going to take you two two weeks to read a book on the subject, right? But then, yeah. you know, that's, that's, a amount of, that's, right? a, that's a lot of time, right, yeah. of, of pure coding. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on to the second question. So this is a bit of a change of pace. It's December. So for most people, this also means... It's the most depressing, second most depressing month, of, along, with, along with, I guess, April, unfortunately. <laughs> it's exam season. So, you know, like as a you know professor, what advice would you give, uh, you know, students who are coming into exam season, especially, I'd say, like, you know, me, me and Chris, we're, you know, we're kind of like, I guess, like, you know, final year, battle scarred, you know, <laughs> we, we know what this is like. But for those first years who are just about to write their 165, 148. Especially, especially in, you know, today's UPCS climate, too. Yeah. You know, what advice would you tell them uh, as a prof? I mean, I guess the... The biggest piece of advice I can give, which I don't think anyone will listen to, is don't panic. I, I think I, I think you know the first time you write an exam and you're in a big hall with you know hundreds or thousands of other people, you you get nervous. I mean, I used to get really nervous writing yeah. exams, and certainly like that was the biggest like the biggest thing that made it difficult. And when you're nervous, you don't do well. So it's kind of you gotta you gotta try to stay calm. The other thing that I think is really important is that uh, you have to really practice like you're gonna play in the sense that lots of people study hard right but you know I mean and I was guilty of all of these bad habits you know like I would study with the TV on or you know like lying yeah. on my couch right and then you get to the exam and you're you're doing questions right and it's different yeah oh, right yeah. the best the best thing you can do is like when you study study like you're going to be in that environment it actually improves your your ability to recall if you're in the same similar mental like an emotional state and i guess physical state as well you actually recall things better yeah and i think like that's a big thing it's relatively easy for people to with a little bit of practice to you know just just find a quiet place to question themselves you know sit down with a sheet of paper go through you know force yourself not to look at the answers while you're going this was also was also my my problem i would always yeah felt like i had to like check that i was doing it perfectly the whole time but if you can really like get in the habit it makes a big difference when you you get there on the day going back to the to the first point about panicking um to add on to that i think one piece of advice i would give is if you've studied you know decently hard which you should especially if you want to get into the post um you know, before the exam, you know, a couple hours, maybe a day before, night before, write down on a sheet of paper all the reasons why you think you'll get a good mark or why you should get a good mark. You know, I've studied hard, you know, I pay attention to class. If it actually, if it improve your confidence, and the more confidence you have, the less nervous you'll be. Yeah, this is a great, uh, that's a great piece of advice. The other thing that I would always uh, refuse to get involved in is in, when you're standing outside in an exam room, there's always people who are going to come, oh, do you know how to do this? Do you yeah, remember yeah. this? And I would never, you know, I would stick my fingers in my ears and walk away because the last thing you need right before you uh, write a test is to, to be reminded that, oh, I, I didn't read that chapter in the textbook, right? Now and I'm worried I'm about that. that yeah. a little bit. Uh, so. Yeah, for me, like, I like learned quickly that I cannot study at home. It's just way too distracting. Yeah. I have to go to a library. And then kind of like, you know, to myself out and, you know, like you should like, in my opinion, what you should really try to do is go to the library, like say, you know, try to get there by 10, leave at seven, six, you know, take a break in between, but like, you know, leave at seven, six and then just leave it at that. Don't, don't go back to it. Cause you need that break as well. Yeah. You hope it also does help memory and things too. Taking breaks. Yeah. You, you know, like go, you know, watch, like play soccer with your, do something else. There's actually a technique called, uh, I think it's called the Pomodoro method. With the little uh, tomato timers. Yeah. yeah. What? The, the idea is you you work for 30 minutes, you, you keep a list of tasks you need to do, and anytime something new comes up, you don't start doing it. You write it on the list of tasks to do in order. And then every 30 minutes, you give yourself something like a five or 10 minute break. And it's actually really good for, for, for keeping focused. Yeah, that works for me as well because I get distracted really easily. I'm like, what's on YouTube? I'm like, never check YouTube unless when yeah. it's exam season. Yeah, oftentimes that's the hardest thing, right? Is is just actually buckling down and, and doing it. And I think, you know, uh, as sort of a chronic procrastinator, what, what I, I've realized is that, uh, you know, even if you can only get yourself to sit there and do something for 10 minutes, right? Those 10 minutes add up. 
right? Oh, yeah. And, like, but the, when I was, uh, ages ago now, when I was in university, I would think, I can only do this for 10 minutes, I'm not going to do it, and then I would get, like, night before the exam, and I'd be like, well, now I have to learn this whole thing, right? And if I just, you know, just used those little slots of time a little bit better, I think, uh, I think things would have been much easier. Yeah. I have to get rid of my phone. That's, like, I'm super guilty of that. Like, for me, my phone is way more enticing than my computer when it's exam time. Oh, for sure. If some, like, I'm just like, I have to get rid of my phone. Uh, I don't want to take any of your messages, you know, but, like. Well, another thing that helped me, I only started doing this this year. So I used to type all my notes on, on the computer. And I think because I'm on the computer, it's just so easy to go to a new tab, go to Facebook. I started, like, I use the computer to, if, I, if it's an online textbook. But otherwise, I write my notes on a on actual book. A, I can just skip through to recall everything, too. Can have it right before an exam if you're like, you know, don't, you can't look through a laptop like hold one more <laughs> <every> exam <laughs> if you like doing that. But like, I mean, it's good for memory. One, just write it by hand, and two, it keeps you away from distractions a little bit better. It's not perfect. I'm a pretty bad person when it comes to distractions, but it helps a lot to write things by hand. I find. Yeah, one thing I started. I don't know if you guys, like, I'm not a big fan of doing this, but like, I've started doing it recently and ha- has helped. So I, I mean, I guess I am a bit of a fan, but I've started printing a lot of my things I needed to do. <clears throat> and that, that the only reason I started printing was so when I'm at the library, I like close my bag with my phone and laptop inside, and I only bring out the notes. And that way you just can't. And then like in that way, like you know, at like 25 minutes, I'm starting like starting to itch. I'm like, where's my phone? Yeah. So so I, I you can give yourself that break, but um, the, o- the only issue with that for CS is like half the time you're reading the cross like notes and you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you have to Google it. And I'm sure it's like that too, probably for like economic. Oh, for sure. You know, what, which tax code is that? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah, first years, don't stress. It should be. If we made it through. Just, just follow all these, you know, 20 easy steps. And yeah. 20 easy steps. Just goes to show you that, uh, you know, no matter what you do, it usually works out. Usually, yeah. yeah. It, like, you know, if you're feeling like it's hard, it's because it is hard and you don't feel bad for that. You'll get through it. You know, all things. Uh, we were talking to Engels, and what, what did he say? He said, you know, this too shall pass. <laughs> yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah, that's exactly... Well, you remember that. I did not... <laughs> yeah, this this too shall pass. Okay. So we're going to go to our more third fun, question. More fun question. More fun question. The, the highlight, at least for me, is uh So this month, you know, in, like, big movies, like, the past couple of months, and uh, at least for the last... I say the past three, four years. Yeah. At least. Uh like Star Wars and all the Marvel movies, they use a lot of CGI. So, and, you know, we talked about this earlier. You know, we take this for granted. Uh, and usually, previously, you know, people used to have props for stuff like this. I remember if you ever watched, like, some of the old horror movies, they had to mix, like, goo with some, like, weird chemistry to get, like, the oozing effect. I kind of like some of that, though. Like, it's so obviously fake. <laughs> but, yeah, it's but fake, it's but enjoyable. it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Um so a lot of they would use that as effects but you know now we have computers to do this for us so and we don't as we said you know we don't appreciate this so but how much time and like effort actually goes into this like a movie like you know like infinity wars or like star wars movie the lightsabers and the ships and the planets exploding yeah like how much how much of that like how much of that is like you know how much effort and how much time goes into that stuff I mean, it's an incredible amount of effort, and, and a testament to that is if, uh, if you stay and watch the credits of one of these movies, you know, by far and away, the largest patch of that credits is now occupied by various visual effects yeah. teams, you know. It's, it's an incredible amount of uh, um, work hours. Um, you know, like, uh, graphics, uh, there's this... We sort of like to paint this picture that that somehow this is, again, like this is the computer understands the world and it's just sort of automatically generating these images. But, you know, that's not really how it works. All of these different elements in a scene are done separately. I like to, uh, in the fourth year graphics course, I like to show um, visual effects breakdowns, which you can download off of YouTube. And what's interesting about watching these things is you realize that almost everything is done in isolation. So, you know, they have a guy, he comes and he in Photoshop will paint the background of the scene. And then, you know, somebody will design, uh, you know, the, you know, so dinosaur or, or Iron Man armor that's going to be in that scene. One guy will just design it. He'll just build a 3D shape, right? Yeah. And that's, that's his full-time job for, you know, a month. And then that will go to someone else who will essentially 
texture it. They'll put the images on it, the colors, right? And then that'll go to someone else who will animate it, right? It might go to many people, and each one of those people will be responsible for sort of a 20-second stint of applying motion. And then that'll go to the physics guys who will add the fire and the water and the buildings collapsing. And then it goes to the rendering guys who render it, and then they got to stitch it all together in, in compositing. So it's this huge, long sort of assembly line assembly it's not even an assembly line because then it, something goes wrong and then it has go to go back, back. Go back. Um, so it's really it's really like a huge big monster and there's manual there's there's manual intervention along every step of the way so the the way that you should think about it is there's not a single uh, not a sort of single pixel on one of those movie shots that hasn't been touched by human hands probably adjusted by hand to look perfect that's sort of the state of the world, yeah. and that's how much you know people care that it's it's seamless. Wow! My, my girlfriend actually she started doing some like uh, visual rendering. Shout out! Like just just like just on Blender, you know it's not it's you know open source or source software, but uh, the amount of work involved because you have to you have to make an edit and then you have to see how is it going to look like, so you have to render it, and that could take hours if you're at least on a laptop. I'm sure you guys have big rendering farms, but. You still have to render it and then check, look it back, and then make small edits, render, look back, and it can just be such a sometimes tedious process. I think. Yeah, and it's it's uh, you know in in uh, in visual effects they call this baking, basically baking out the shot where you collect yeah. all the assets and you you make the final frame. And you know and then those you know it all still takes hours even with a big render farm because you know they're doing 4K. These shots are huge. There's tons of uh, there's tons of big assets, and then you know you get some bug in your code somewhere, and you get it back, and you know Iron Man's arm is flown off his body for some reason, and you know well that was you know that's that's six hours of rendering time gone. So it's really it's really really time consuming, and I mean I think the one of the sort of I think one of the things that pe that's hard to explain now about graphics is because when you see it in a movie or in a game. It looks great, right? You go there and you say like, oh, we, we've solved this problem. It looks amazing. But what you forget is that we're just, you know, we're just building these things still by hand, right? It's not, this, this is still sort of human graphics. Yeah. We aren't really, this isn't like computer graphics in the sense that the computer is, is doing all the work. And I think that's going to be sort of the next, that's sort of like our next big challenge, right? Is to make it much, much easier to create these amazing these sort of amazing experiences for people. Damn, like I didn't. I mean, I one thing that I realized recently was um, how much processing power rendering takes. Like, yeah, it takes like an astronomical amount of like uh, computer yeah. hardware. We've like, had we've had some late nights because uh, she she was trying to to render something to see if it looked perfect. I'm like, let's go to bed. She's like, I can't. I'll be up for thirty more minutes. Let this like. Let's this like bottle or, or or something. It kind of looks like a bottle. I have to let it render to see what it looks like, and it's like, all right, it's gonna be late. <laughs> yeah, it's so. I guess, I guess that would be so disheartening. Like, we gotta render this twenty second scene. How long is it gonna take? Like, we all six hours, and you come back, and like, yeah, you, that's like you said, <laughs> Iron Man's head's not there. Yeah, yeah, and it, it happens. You know, it happens more often than people would like to like to admit. So, yeah. Um. So really, really, like there, are, there, are, you know. For every sort of 20 seconds of footage, you know, there are multiple people who have been involved in making it look that good. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's, that's a difficult job, right? Because oftentimes, you know, they're dealing with sort of hardware inconsistencies, software inconsistencies. Um, you know, they, they have requirements on, you know, from the director what things are meant to look like, timing. Uh, it's really challenging. So I think, you know... Uh, when you're enjoying, you know, when you're enjoying Star Wars on December fifteenth, you should take a minute and just think about, you know, how many people's hard work is up on that screen, and uh, you know, maybe say a, say a, say a quiet thank you to Send them. them. Trying try to find them, maybe set, find their Twitter and then shoot them a message. I've actually been doing that really with uh, games. That's cool. so every time I see something that kind of cool, yeah, or like I laughed at something, I'd either send the writer or like some graphics guy, like some someone, someone, yeah, be like. This was pretty cool. Just want to let you know, you know, shout out to you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, though, uh, do do you watch Star Wars? Of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm in computer science, aren't I? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> this is true. So, I how big of a task is like a movie like Star Wars? Like, what's the what's what's the you know kind of how much money alone just goes into the graphics and like how many 
how many months, you know, years does it take to actually go from shooting the film to... Do they even shoot the it? film? Is it just... <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, you, you need to get some stuff from the green, sc- <laughs> the green screen, right? Um, no, so I mean... I mean, special effects. Special effects work can can go from months to sort of a year. Yeah. Um, it's everything happens like relatively quickly, and it sort of it sort of has to, right? Because if you wait too long, basically your movie is spoiled before yeah. anyone ever sees it. One of the funny things is that actually when you watch uh, when you watch early trailers of things, actually the the VFX isn't isn't even complete. So you know, if you look at uh, what was I watching recently? Uh, the Infinity War trailer, the new Marvel movie. Yeah. You know, people were sort of complaining about, you know, one of the characters doesn't look so good in the trailer, right? But that's because probably, like, they haven't even finished working on it, right? But you've got to start doing the promotion before yeah. the final movie comes the final out. shots are done. Which which, right. which character? I think this is Thanos, because he's got this kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, Th- yeah, yeah. He, he was looking... Th- he looked like yeah. somebody who compared him to uh, <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> I'm like, I, I definitely... I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, I, I definitely see that. But okay, but but so almost every I mean in a lot of these science fiction movies almost everything that you see on the screen is computer generated. I mean there are a lot of these things that are really they are filmed in a, a big green room and all yeah. of the scenery props are computer generated. So a funny example of this is um, Age of Ultron. I mean obviously the Ultron character is entirely computer generated, and if you see shots of them filming that. Uh, it's just a guy holding a eight foot stick with a dot on it, so that uh, the actors know where to make eye, eye contact. Oh my god! And that's just like in, basically like in an empty in an empty set, and the rest of it is entirely filled in with CG. And what makes it work is that you know actors are good at their jobs; they're good at pretending. And then the you know some guy spent you know twelve months of his life painstakingly animating uh, every movement that that Ultron makes. It's actually. One, one interesting with, with the with episode seven of Star Wars, where Abrams specifically tried to have a, like a blend of, of I think on set stuff with you know crazy CG. I think he was like really trying to do that. He's like, I want to. I think he was trying to go a little bit away from George Lucas's films in a way. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about prequels here. No. But uh, I think so. It's so it was kind of like Planet of the Apes. I guess. I think so. I, I I'm not sure about the. Because, I don't know if you guys have watched Planet of the Apes, but like that's like, I actually really enjoyed. Yeah, the, for the, they're, they're all good movies. They're, they're all yeah, they're all really good movies. Uh, and but the one thing I didn't realize is that it's literally a man, who has to wear like a costume with all these points all yeah. around his like body, and I'm like, man, I could not like imagine doing like, I mean, any of the actors looking at that, I'm like, I could not have taken that seriously. I would just burst out laughing every single time. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the prequels here. Have you ever seen the behind the like scenes footage of Jar Jar Binks? What's behind? Just some like super tall guy with like a thing on, <laughs> with like a with the Jar Jar like puppet hat on. He's can just, you like? Can you imagine like telling your kids or like grandkids, "I was in the Star Wars movies. I really what character? Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks." But no, like, okay, but yeah, I, I guess that also puts some perspective. They do I, they do have actors around, but then like having to pull, hold that stick. Yeah. yeah, I mean the Planet of the Apes thing is very interesting because actually the so the the company that does the visual effects for Planet of the Apes, a bunch of other stuff, is a company called Weta Digital, and so the visual effects companies get famous for doing certain <coughs> kinds of work very well. And one of the things that Weta Digital does really, really well is is creatures. So you know they worked on a lot of the Lord of the Rings movies, oh. did all the orcs, they did you know yeah. uh, Smaug. So those. Even those apes, those apes are entirely uh, simulated computer characters. So they take the motion from the actors, and then they have a computer model of a of an ape, uh, muscle, skin, everything, very detailed. They, they basically build them from uh, an- anatomical data from vets and things like this, uh, and then they they actually re-simulate the ape so that he sort of tries to match what the human is doing so even that the sort of the human you know is just is just acting as like some input yeah to the computer like i think to my knowledge like one of the hardest things to make look naturally is kind of like at least without some human input is like move people people moving or animals moving because you can tell like at least uh for certain movies when you watch when you watch something and you know the animal looks incredibly lifelike you can see the individual fur and stuff yeah 
but then like you're thinking something's off and you're not sure what. A lot of the times I find it's the, uh, like it's not, it's like almost like the, out, the unworldly animation, which I think is probably one of the hardest things, at least from my perspective as a viewer, probably what looks like one of the hardest things to nail down. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think getting things to look like they're moving through the world correctly is, is yeah. really difficult and we're very, very sensitive to that. And it's still really, I mean, it's still really sort of, this is like a sort of one of the other unsolved problems. So in, in computer graphics, people often talk about the uncanny valley. And typically yeah. they talk about this uh, in terms of as we make things look more visually realistic, actually they, be, they become sort of more off-putting to human beings. We perceive them as being less alive, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, I... I'm also like a big believer that part of the reason for that value, part of the reason why as we make things look sort of better when they're not in, not in motion, but when you see them sort of on the movie screen, they look weird, is because of this. Because we just don't model how we move around well right. yet. Okay. You know, you know, getting back to something you said uh, probably about 10 minutes ago now, um, you kind of mentioned that we haven't just yet nailed down kind of more computer-driven graphics in the literal sense of non-human driven gra graphics where do you see that kind of research or that kind of future in graphics engineering being in you know five ten years i mean i think i, I think in five to ten years what you sort of i think a good goal would be that for instance uh sort of at least background characters you know like the aforementioned apes things like yeah. this that these are sort of fully autonomous computer characters. And we sort of try and do this in games already in, in VR and AR where you, you know, if you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you have to populate a whole city, you can't have actors for yeah. every person, right? If you're a game yeah. to do. So we have characters that kind of know how to move themselves down the, down the world, things that they want to do, right? And they're still a little bit clunky. Oh, yeah. Um, but I would imagine that in 10 years, you know, those will be essentially perfect. And so, you know, if you want to have a background crowd in a movie, you'll be able to just generate it. Oh my god, are backgrounds, like, characters just usually just computers generated? Like, I mean, like, like suppose you're watching, like, Inception. And in Inception, you, I mean, that movie actually, you know, that, uh, that's a lot of graphics there. But, like, when they have all those people around, are, they're not computer generated. They're actors, right? So some of them are, and some of them, some of them are uh, computer generated. Wow. So there are companies that specialize in uh, crowd simulation, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the... It's having computer models for the large-scale behavior of large numbers of people. Um, the most famous version of this that most people have seen is in the second Lord of the Rings movie, oh, right. when the orc army is assaulting yeah. uh, one of the fortresses. Wow. That's actually, a lot of that, those faraway shots, that's all computer simulation. And th th those, those characters are making decisions governed by uh, essentially a very simple artificial intelligence. That's crazy. That, yeah. that, that must have been fun. I thought it was a real shot. Yeah. Yeah. So people have been people have been working on it, and and you know, we're you can sort of you know from far away from ten thousand feet it looks great, but it's yeah. you know when you get up close we're still not quite resolution garbage. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just curious as to how many of like the war movies I've seen. Like, have you guys ever seen Troy? Was a shot in Troy when I, I like the in, the entire Greek army is assaulting Troy. And I just wanna, I'm wondering if I like, mean if some of it could also be like kind of copy pasting. Yeah. That movie's old. That's like yeah. 2004 it's, as well. It's not really a memorable movie. Too. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's just like Brad Pitt killing people. That's the <laughs> that's the movie. But um, okay, that's, I think that answers my question. But like, okay, I want to like maybe like dive into this. How does I guess uh, creating graphics for movies compared to creating graphics for games? So it's it's pretty similar nowadays. I mean, certainly you're with games you're constrained by the hardware. A, a little more and the sort of the requirement of interactivity so you know if you let me if you let me do a simulation for a week I can do a lot more for you than if you give me one sixtieth of a second yeah right yeah um, and so so we use you know, like the algorithms differ based on that requirement um, but it's surprisingly it's becoming surprisingly close as you know computer hardware catches up okay that's I mean I think like for some games, like the CG looks better than it did. Like if you go back to some CG 10, 15 years ago, it's like, 
I don't ever think the book's real. Well, yeah. yeah, and I mean, a lot of, I mean, game engines are slipping into all walks of film production. So, yeah. for instance, when you do, uh, when you when you film a VFX-heavy movie, they do what's called previs or pre-visualization. So this is, you know, you shoot the shot, then you... Uh, you send it off to the FX guys, and they quickly like mock up a very crude version of all the CG. So you know, if it's Star Wars, you have some shuttle flying through. They throw that in; it's a cube, right? And then they send it back to the director, and he can sort of look at it on his computer, make sure that everything's in the right place. And now, like a lot of those things get done using same basic tools as game development, because they can produce, you know, a much nicer look, much closer to the final film frame. Um, and relatively quickly because they've done a lot of, I mean, Steve Engels knows more about this than me, but of course they, you know, they've done a lot of work, you know, making it easy to create 3D content in games. And again, you know, like what I notice about games is not so much that the, I think the rendering is amazing in games and it's still like, it's just the motion that throws me off a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially for certain games. Uh, Especially facial motion too, I find like it's really I, hard to capture that. I, like I, I was looking at Half Life Two, which is like I think that game from two thousand four, and somehow that game's like no, like that game's animations, or at least for faces, still look better than you know even like big budget games now. For sure, I th- you said uh, looking at games like five years ago. How did I even think about how that was? Game, how that looks yeah, real? Yeah, games, movies. Uh, look at I don't know. I don't. I don't think you play this, but FIFA or any actually any sports game. You just compare year over year, you're like, this is no change at all. But then you but scale it at four or five years, you're like, whoa, this was like, how can I even imagine playing this game? Yeah, these characters look like garbage. But uh, so it is like a little bit year over year thing, I guess. Yeah, like I was watching, I was actually really surprised. I was rewatching Lord of the Rings trilogy, like the first one. Every pretty much everything holds up. I think there's the uh, the troll that kind of looks weird. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, so yeah. impressed. Like so much of the CG still holds up. But then I was watching the third one. <laughs> And they have that big ghost army, and I think at the time it looked really good for me. At least I was a kid. Yeah. Looks back and it's just like it looks like it looks like a PS2 game or something. A PS3 <laughs> game. What um, is this garbage? Uh, those movies did win a lot of Oscars. They're awesome movies. If I'm not mistaken, I think they have they're tied for the most amount of Oscars ever won. I could not I could not uh, refute that. I'm not to, sure. I have to double check. I but I think. We can go uh, with it for now. Uh, it, it, sounds it sounds good. <laughs> I think they won nine Oscars or something. It's something insane. But nonetheless, we're going to our final question. So uh, you briefly mentioned that you know you did research as an associate research scientist at Disney. Have to mention the the name. The name. The 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 Imagineers you were saying. Imagineers. Yes, yes I was an Imagineer for a few years. It's an awesome title. It's awesome. Like, what was your? I wish that was. Um, what, what's your title? Software engineer. <laughs> uh, what's yours? Uh, Imagineer. Yeah, that completely worlds apart. Uh, so what exactly is you know? Uh, what ex- what exactly is it like an Imagineer, and then how does working in that you know company kind of differ to what you do today? Oh yeah, so that's a that's a great question. So um, I so Disney has a great has a great research and development branch, Disney Research. Um, as far as companies go, they're actually quite interested in doing sort of what we consider like blue sky research. So the the stuff that you know has a longer horizon. Um, so it, in terms of what I was allowed to work on, uh, it was sort of similar to the stuff that I do now. Um, so you know, we looked at simulation algorithms for animation. Uh, we do we did things for actually fabrication, structural analysis, all kinds of fun stuff. It was great. Um, but you always get this. I mean, at the end of the day, with any industri- industrial position, uh, you have to prove your worth to the company right which means that you have to take the things that you're building and you have to get them you know into production whatever that is right maybe that's a movie maybe that's something else that that the company is interested in doing and you know that part of it again is just not something that that i found particularly enjoyable i think you know for me the the research part of all these jobs is the fun part and then the work is you know there's always some bit of work that you do so that you can justify why people are letting you do research. And, and the, work, the work there was the same, is that you, know, you, you go to people and you say, hey, would you like to use my algorithm? Okay, well, now you've got to implement it in you know, Maya. Well, I don't really want to write a Maya plugin. That's not very enjoyable yeah. to me, right? Um, and so those are the sort of things 
Actually, so it was, it was my experience at Disney, uh, which convinced me to come back to academia, which was that basically I found that the parts of the job I were enjoying were all the things that a professor does. And the parts of the job that I weren't enjoying were all the things that, you know, were, were sort of industry dominant. So I thought, okay, well, yeah, that's pretty clear now what you've got to go spend your time doing. So. I, feel like, I feel like our podcast is uh, half the time like a, an endorsement of academia. Yeah, which is quite interesting because I'm pretty sure if you asked me back in September, what do you want all people not to go in? Well, that's, that, that's, but that's one thing that's nice. Like, you know, these are kind of perspectives you don't, it's going to You know, and I think, I think that actually, you know, one, one thing I'll say is that uh, I know lots of people, like, like friends in industry who, who get a tremendous amount of joy from building tools that people use for them you yeah. know the fun part is not just coming up with the idea but getting it into everyone's hands seeing them create something amazing and that is really cool you know like it it's hard to uh you know like i i always like to stay after the movies because now you know like i have a few friends who are in vfx and you, you see their names like yeah. on the screen you can go on imdb and 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 be and you know see yourself there and that you know those guys like that's amazing, right? That's a big thrill that for a lot of people. Like, that's your, yeah. It's yeah. So I'm, so cool. you know, like you don't like, you don't use LinkedIn. You so imagine just using IMDb. Oh, okay. I, I think that's a cool concept. Yeah, and so I think I, I think that whenever you have to make this decision and about whether you you want to go into you know research or like academia or industry, the the thing to just realize to ask yourself is you know which part of the process do you really enjoy and which part is the of the process is the work and, and I think this is something that I don't know if it's just a it's a general mindset that kind of kind of bleeds into computer science just because computer science is part of society but with a lot of fields you, you kind of only have one option like there's not necessarily you don't have that kind of flexibility where like you, you really tend most people tend to have to go into, into industry because it's like we need to make the most amount of money and that's a lot of people's goal but computer science is pretty flexible like you probably won't be starving no matter what you do Except for probably when you're, you know, a PhD student, then maybe. But <laughs> I think after, they're still eating. Last I checked, they're eating. But yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, you'll no matter what you do in computer science, you'll make enough money. Do what you like in it. If you want the pursuit of knowledge, it's you know you went into the right field where that's something you can do. You don't have to go into industry. So a lot of people I talked to in fourth year, and I talked to them and say, "What do you want to do?" And they said, "They like academia, but they seem to feel this pull for industry." Yeah. It's okay. It's not for you. Like not everyone has to do it. You're 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 in the one you know one of the few positions where if you want to go to academia, there's I think I think there's a lot of room for it. I think like it's a pretty good field to go into. Yeah, I mean I I think that also, you know, it's not a decision that you get you have to make once and stick with it, right? I mean yeah. certainly. So uh, at, after my undergrad, I worked at a startup for a bit. I was a research assistant at a at a hospital. I went to graduate school. You know, I did a postdoc, then I worked at Disney, now I'm a professor. So, you know, like I've jumped across this line and or sat in the middle of it, you know, for most of my career and there were no ill effects, right? And it, you know, g gives you time to to figure out what you enjoy. It's, you know, it's a, I could ask you, it's like asking someone, do you prefer chocolate or vanilla ice cream, but having never tried either, how can you possibly make That's that decision? Point. So maybe like the, again, the the advice I would give for people who are, sort of struggling with what they want to do is try both you know and if you try one yeah. and you love it keep doing it and if you try one and you don't like it there's no harm and you can always go back right either way you can always go back yeah this is some good advice i mean i think for me personally i'm just not a i feel like i, mean, I think ufc's kind of destroyed my hopes for going to academia i feel like too though business inherently is very industry based it, it is uh the only side of business that you can go into research is finance. Yeah. And that's because there's a lot of math involved. You know, you're modeling the markets because there's anybody who ever tells you that I found a way to like track the market, they're lying. Oh, yeah, that's always worked. That's, why, yeah, that's why everyone of them is a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's garbage. And, you know, I don't think people are even close to doing it, but that's why there's research in that facility. I didn't know this, but there actually are researchers for accounting. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, someone has to develop the field. Everyone, there's research for every single field. Fair, but I'm just like, in accounting? I mean, I know there are researchers for tax because they want to find out. Tax, tax. tax kind of makes sense, but like, just accounting in general. But nonetheless, I feel like, yeah, it is. You, you should probably should dip your feet, you know, into like both things, see what yeah. you like. 
Um, and there are a lot of opportunities for undergrads to be involved in in research at University of Toronto. So you know, in computer science, we have you, you can do research for credit. So you can basically you can try working on a project for a term and see how you how you feel about it, right? And it's I think it's it's also good because in some sense the doing research is very different from typical stuff you do. Uh, in the life of an undergrad, right? It's very different from taking courses, writing tests, doing assignments. So it's very difficult to extrapolate sort of your, as an undergrad, like my vision of academia was very different from what actually working in it was. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Chris, I think we have some couple of reader questions. So, uh, I mean, I guess reader questions. Questions from people who knew this podcast was happening. <laughs> Um, so one of the questions was, I guess it's a two-part question, but I'll ask just the first part. What kind of, if someone wants to get into, you know, animations and graphics, um, one, one or the other or both, what kind of math should they should they know? What kind of background should they know? Um, so uh, you need a very good background in uh, linear algebra. Uh, so that's really sort of like the building block that yeah. all of this research is, is built on. Um, and multivariate calculus, like really as, as much as possible, you should know that stuff like the, the back of your hand. Um, rendering in particular also draws a lot from uh, probability and statistics. So if in particular, you're interested in, you know, how you actually get the images onto the screen, that's important to, uh, to know. And then, you know, we, we sort of pull from, we pull from all over um, uh, optimization, geometry, all sorts of things, but uh, if if you can only if you can only learn two things, uh, definitely linear algebra and multivariate calculus will put you in good good stead. Okay, uh, so so the, the second half of this was there are definitely you know graduate level courses for graphics uh, for I think animation as well. Are these courses like available for undergrad students? Because there are just lots of courses I think that are interested in it. Oh yeah, so uh, of course uh, undergrad students can get permission to take the graduate graphics courses. Um, in particular, if you're interested in uh, animation, uh, there's a very good graphics course taught by uh, another new professor, a guy by the name of uh, Alec Jacobson, uh, on geometry processing. And, and Alec uh, also does work on basically you know, how if you have a character, how you, how you move him around. And if you take his geometry processing course, uh, you'll learn about how all of that stuff works. So, I highly recommend it if you're interested. Um, I and I teach a graduate course which is on um, design and fabrication. But a lot of the a lot of the stuff I teach in that course is basically the underpinnings of all the physics simulation uh, that we do in in graphics. So, if you're interested in the more physicsy side, uh, that might be interesting to you. Okay. I guess I have one more question I want to ask is uh, since since my girlfriend is doing it, less from a math point of view, for more of a hobbyist point of view. Uh, Someone who wants to get into animation, you know, not necessarily something very mathy. What kind of things can they do at home for, for cheap or even for free, possibly? I know what Blender does, for example, which is you know pretty easy to use. What, what, is, what, is, what is Blender? Blender is like a, I don't know how to describe this. It's kind of like an IDE for making graphics. Like it's a, it's like a modeling tool, okay. and it's and it's pretty pretty flexible. It's pretty good, at least you know now it is. I remember looking at back at it when I was probably 14, 15, and it was it looked like the worst thing. But watching my girlfriend do it, like, it looks like a real product now. Um, but yeah, from, from like more of a hobby, someone who just kind of wants to see what the field's like without being you know, a researcher, what kind of ways can they get involved from home? What kind of things can they, can they kind of do? I mean, Blender is, a, Blender is a great way to get involved. It's free, it's open source. Um, the Blender Foundation uh, actually makes uh, short films with Blender. They make yeah. them available on their website. For um, a lot of them, they actually provide not just the rendered movie, but the the assets, so sort of the models and textures that are used to make the film. So you oh, can wow. actually download those, open them up in the appropriate version of Blender, and, and really see behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and so that's, if you're really interested in seeing sort of, you know, how the, you know, how the cake gets made, that's a great way to do it. Also, um, uh, Tools like uh, so Autodesk, which makes Maya, which is sort of the Blender competitor and is used in a lot of the visual effects studios for modeling, animation, and rendering, uh, is I do believe available free for students, or at least so. You should look into that. Yeah. So uh, that's also a good thing to to know. And it, you know, if you're applying to a studio, it looks good to be able to say you yeah. know the tool that they already they're already using in house. Okay. Uh, the other thing is the other thing is that um, 
if you're not so I'm not so much of an artist I'm definitely more sort of like a developer uh, it's good to have a a good Python background. So the other thing is, is so, like, yeah. So Python is used for some of this? So Blender, for instance, has a Python scripting interface. And a okay. lot of times when you want to automate building bits and pieces of a scene, right, you have to you have to write some code that will interface right. with Blender. And so no, knowing Python actually uh, is a very useful skill for people in the VFX industry to have. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I should learn some Python. It's a good language to know. That's fair. Okay, I think, Chris, do you have any more questions? I think that, uh, that wraps it up. Okay, uh, Dave, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. This was great fun. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, we'll uh, maybe, we'll maybe we'll get you sometime next semester when Infinity Wars comes out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a round two of uh, more graphics. <laughs> but uh, until then, uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next time.